Good morning, church. Uh, we'll be coming from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9 through 12. And it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For this indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to inspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before all outsiders and be dependent on no one. Praise God. I heard a uh, pastor this week respond to a question regarding the the Christian life. The, the quest, questioner was interested in knowing if they had to become a missionary or go into a full-time ministry in order to be a serious Christian. Now, uh, while on the surface that may appear to be like a, a silly question, I think it actually gets to the heart of the questions Christians have regarding the Christian life, regarding their Christian walk. I believe most Christians, I, I think so, I would hope so, that most Christians want to know what it is to please, they, wanna, they want to please God. They want to live a life that pleases Him. Too often, they're just not sure how. They don't know what that looks like. And for this questioner, the only option they figured they have was either to become a missionary or to become a pastor. Well, that is not at all biblical. Your job or vocation does not a serious Christian make. The serious Christian, or really the Christian that desires to live a life that is pleasing to God, seeks to live a life that is marked with love and faithfulness. Essentially, essentially that is what we have been dialing in on over the last couple of weeks. Paul has been in unpacking for us holiness and, and in, in the life of the Christian, and that holiness being expressed in love, love towards God, love towards neighbor, and faithfulness, faithfulness towards God and faithfulness to one another. And Paul continues on with that theme in our text this morning. Love. Love. You, you can't have Christianity without love. You remember in Luke chapter 10, Jesus commands the sharp expert in the law when he sums up the Ten Commandments saying, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus commends this, this lawyer. Jesus was confirming what is required in the kingdom. Love. Where there is no love, there is no faithful Christianity. But that love is expressed to different people. Husbands are to love their wives, Ephesians 5 tells us. Christians are called to love our enemies, Matthew 5 tells us. And to love our neighbors, we hear that in Mark 12. 
And then there is this brotherly love or a fraternal love, as one commentator calls it, that Paul mentions here in our text. Look at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Brotherly love. Brotherly love. This type of love is differentiated from the love that we have for all God's creatures because they are created in the image of God. Right? When we are called to love all people and show all people dignity and, and respect, and we are to serve and help them when they are in need. We love them because God loves that which he has created, and so we, we show them love. But brotherly love is a particular love. This is familial love. Brothers and sisters, if if you have trusted in Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. And you know what? You're not an only child. You're not an only child. The family of God is made up of men and women from every tribe and, and tongue and nation. And all of us are part of God's family, and therefore, we are brothers and sisters. I was reading a newsletter this week, and the, the writer happened to mention, um, talking about Paul, he called him our brother, Paul. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what, that's right. The apostle Paul is our brother. Paul, along with all of the saints in redemptive history are our brothers and sisters, Ruth and, and Esther and Moses and, and Jacob and, and all of the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. This is where Pastor Tony would start singing. <laughs> all my brothers, sisters, and me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if we are family, if we are family, then there is a particular love that ought to exist between us. In fact, the love you share and demonstrate with your brothers and sisters in Christ ought to, in many respects, ought to supersede the love that you share with your natural brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus implies in Matthew 12. As he is teaching his disciples, his mother and brothers are seeking to get to him, but they are prevented because there's too many people in the crowd. They, they can't get to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples come to him and says, Jesus, your mother and your brother are outside and they're looking for you. They need to get to you. And Jesus lifts out his hand and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus here is placing emphasis. He's placing God's family above his natural family. Our truer, deeper family are those who belong to the household of faith. So, 
the exhortations that we have in Scripture to love. 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The, the command we hear in Romans 13 and 8, oh, no one anything except to love each other. How about Ephesians 5 and 2, walk in love. Or 1 John 4 and 7, beloved, love one another. All of these exhortations that we have in the scriptures. Yes, yes, we are to, in a general sense, love all. We are to show this love to everyone, but, but particularly to the household of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There ought to be an intensity there of this love. It should be demonstrated between our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul was commending the Thessalonians, for this is the love that was found among them. They were loving one another. He said he had no need to write to them about this. And there was no need for Paul to address this. First, the evidence of brotherly love. They had demonstrated it. One of the reasons had to do with the fact that their love, the Thessalonians' love, was evident. This love, Paul says, was being demonstrated to the brothers and sisters in Macedonia. You, you, you remember back in chapter 1 when Paul said to the Thessalonians that the, that the Thessalonians had become known and been an example to all of the other believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Their example, the example that they set for them, was in brotherly love. They showed hospitality. They, they were praying for the saints there. They, they were giving of their resources, helping to support the believers in Macedonia. This is how they were demonstrating their love to the brothers and sisters in Macedonia. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Brotherly love is never obscured. It, it can't be hidden. In fact, I would say if your love is not accompanied with observable action, I might question how loving you are actually being. Love in the scriptures is a love that demonstrates. What this first John 3 and 17 says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John is tying your actions to love. Your actions are the great revealer of your heart. They reveal what's in your heart. They, they expose you. They, they tell on you. They give you away. If you have love in your heart, it's going to be demonstrated. If you don't do not demonstrate the love you say you have, then you are clearly showing that you have not love. Brotherly love at the church of Thessalonica, it was evident. It was visible. 
It was tangible. You could see it. You could, you could feel it. You could taste it. That is one reason for Paul not having to write to them about brotherly love. But the second reason that he didn't have to write to them about brotherly love was because Paul had confidence in their teacher, in the one who taught them love. Look at what he says. They were taught by God. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You know, it's an amazing thing what the right teacher will do. Paul has confidence because they have been taught by God to love one another. This is, the, this is what God promised that he would do for his people uh, through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 54 and 13, where he says, all your children shall be taught by God. Here's the deal. When God teaches you, things stick. You get it. When, when God teaches you, they stick because he grants to us Holy Spirit who helps us to understand what he is teaching to us. But not only that, he is a teacher that teaches by example. There is a saying, there is a saying that perhaps you are familiar with that refers to teachers. Those who can't do, teach, right? You've heard that saying before. Not so with God. Not so with God. We get love straight from the source. He who is love teaches us how to love one another. And in many respects, God's love is, as they say, more caught than taught. For those who love much are those who have been loved much. God teaches by example. Romans 5, 7, and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, he teaches by, God teaches by example. God loves sacrificially. He loved without prejudice, and, and he loved us when we were not easy to love. This, this is how we are taught to love one another, and therefore our brotherly love should imitate the love that God demonstrates and shows towards us. Our love should be sacrificial. It should be without prejudice. It should be, we should love those who are not easy to love, because that's how God loved us. John 3 and 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And in return, how are we to respond to that love that God showed us? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
it is, brothers and sisters again. This is brotherly love. We sacrifice. We, we love one another like Christ loved us. It's inconvenient. It hurts sometimes. It, 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 it is difficult and, and hard, but this is what love looks like. Perhaps you're here and you're saying, I don't, I don't love like that. This, this is, I, I, I don't love like that. I, when, you, when you talk about love the way the scriptures talk about love, then I don't love, I don't love like that. Perhaps, perhaps you have not experienced the love of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, the God's love is amazing. He, he loved us with a love that we did not deserve. He sent his only son for us. He demonstrated his love and, 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 and pursued us and went out and, and got us. When you recognize and realize that love, it, it causes you, it compels you to love others. You don't love like, like that. Dwell on, think upon the love of Christ and how he has loved you. And may you seek to love your brothers and sisters the same. Brothers and sisters, these are the two reasons why Paul felt no need to write to the Thessalonians about brotherly love. One, it was it was evidenced among them. They were showing it. They were demonstrating it. And two, he had confidence in their teacher. They had been taught by God how to love one another. How about us, East Point Church? Would Paul need to address us on these matters? Is, is your love for your brother and sister, the one sitting next to you in the pew? Is it more intense? Is it, is, is it more than the love that you have for your natural brothers and sisters? Are there those? Are there those that, that look at this church and say, yes, 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 that is, that is a church that loves. What are, what are we known for? What are we known for at East Point Church? Are we known as a church that loves? We want the community around us to, to point at us and, and say, yes, that is a church. I've been there and I know that is a church that demonstrates love to one another. They're demonstrating brotherly love. We've seen it. Do we see this in our midst? This is the type of love that we see that we're sacrificing for one another. We're giving, we're showing one another hospitality. We're helping to meet each other's needs. I think, I think there, there are glimpses of I think there are glimpses of it here. I've been the recipient of love. I, I think many of you could testify to that as well. Love is evident among us. There are, there are indeed glimpses of it. But here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Let's not pat ourselves on the back. That's not what Paul tells the Thessalonians to do. He tells them, in fact, 
he urges them to love more and more, to keep pressing. No, no resting, no, no stopping. Keep loving one another more and more. You know what? Too often, too often we want to do just enough to get by. How, how much do I have to love this person that is difficult to love? Can I love them just enough? We, we are afraid of loving so much that we cra- that will crash and burn. You ever, you ever help, try to help a timid driver back into a car space, right? It, it, there, there's another car behind them, and they're, they're, they're kind of inching, inching back, and you're saying, come on, you got a lot of room, come on, come on, and they're just easing back. That's us with love. This is what, this is what Paul is saying You're there, you're inching, you're inching, but do it more and more. Come on. You're not going to crash. Love more and more. You can never love enough, brothers and sisters. We will never crash when it comes to loving one another. Serious Christians demonstrate brotherly love to one another. And one of the love ways that, that love gets demonstrated in the body is through faithfulness. Faithfulness to each other and faithful living in this world. Paul's exhortation for the Thessalonians are that they are to love one another and to do it more and more and more. But it, it's followed up, this exhortation is followed up by several others. His next instructions have to do with how they are seen by outsiders. Paul picks back up on the theme he brought up earlier in the letter regarding walking in a manner worthy of God. And in verse 12, he gives the rationale for these next set of exhortations so that they may walk properly before outsiders. He wanted the, the, the Thessalonians to to have a witness, to have a testimony that outsiders would look on and say yes or ask questions, not not, uh, condemn, not accuse. Christians, whether we realize it or not, are under a microscope. Most often, not under the, the microscope for, for something good, right? People aren't kind of waiting and, and looking to see if Christians are going to respond well. That doesn't make the press, right? It's the bad stuff. There are those who lie in wait, waiting for Christians to mess up, to say the wrong thing, to not live according to how they think Christians ought to live. This is the world in which we navigate. So Paul makes how we live our lives a a point of emphasis in his letters throughout the New Testament. He gives specific instructions to the Thessalonians in this regard that are so helpful as we seek to live faithfully in this world so as to not bring shame upon the name of Christ, but also to live in a way that allows brotherly love to continue to to thrive amongst us and to flourish. Paul begins in verse 11 and tells the Thessalonians, 
that they are to aspire to live quietly. In other words, Paul says, keep your head down. Keep your head down. Ambition in the eyes of the world is seen as a good thing. Get all you can by whatever means you can. Self-promote, self-promote, self-promote. That's what they tell you in the corporate world. I've been there. If, if you want to get ahead, if you want to succeed, you got to make a name for yourself. You got you to promote your own press. This is particularly prevalent in our social media culture. Everyone wants a platform and wants as many comments and as many likes as they can get. Now, social media wasn't popular in Thessalonica, but social and political rhetoric was. Making a name for yourself was the norm. Pushing forward political ideology via debates and public forums in the square were, was, was common, and, and apparently some who had joined the community of faith were, were still seeking worldly aspirations in a worldly way. Paul's word to them was to keep your head down. Don't follow the norms of the day. Be, be different. Stop trying to push your agenda. He says, if you want to be ambitious, be ambitious about living a quiet life. How about that? Be ambitious about living a quiet life. Don't be consumed with making a name for yourself. Don't get involved in senseless debates thinking that you must and have to be heard. Man, if Paul could only see all that happens on Facebook and Twitter these days. The need to want to be right. Getting into senseless debates. Feeling like you have to be heard. Paul says, seek to live faithfully with your head down. Don't seek to draw attention to yourself. These senseless debates. Solomon gives us wisdom in how to handle such things. Proverbs 17 and 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarreling breaks out. Proverbs 20 and 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Fear that when we engage in these things, we forget that the outside world is looking in watching and waiting for us to slip up. Be ambitious. Be ambitious. But be ambitious about living a quiet life. Be ambitious about going about living faithfully in this world, seeking to honor God and honor one another. Paul's next admonition to the Thessalonians <laughs> was to mind your own affairs. In other words, Paul says, mind your business. Mind your own business. <laughs> the church in Thessalonica had some trouble with busybodies. We know this by looking at 2 Thessalonians 3 and 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. We know what busybodies are. Those persons who are concerned with 
everyone else's affairs except their own. Peter refers to them as meddlers. Getting involved in debates and issues and people's lives and situations they have no business being involved in. Really, they are just being nosy. Nosy. Paul tells the busybodies to mind their own affairs. Don't tell me about the brown spots in my yard when there are weeds in yours. Jesus does this with the Apostle Peter in John 21. But he does it with a little bit more tact, right? He does it with a little bit more tact. Jesus is addressing Peter. But, but Peter kind of has his, has his eye like a little child. Uh, you know, what about, what about John? What about him? Like we did when we were, when, when we were children and, and we were... My, we, were in our, we were doing our own thing, and, and somebody else got a bigger piece of cake, or they went somewhere else, and they said, what about them? Jesus says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus says, basically, mind your own affairs. Faithfulness looks like tending to your own affairs and this is loving loving your brother and sister by not unnecessarily getting involved in theirs don't unnecessarily get involved in their affairs mind your own affairs the final instruction Paul offers has to do with work he tells the Thessalonians that they are to work with their hands. When Paul addressed the busybodies in his second letter, he linked it with idleness. There were those in the body who were not working. They, they had the ability to work, but they just weren't. We have somehow got in our minds that work is a product of the fall. Maybe we're just confused, but we forget or we're, we're misinformed that, that work actually was created before the fall. God gave Adam the work of tending to the garden. There is God-honoring, God-glorifying purpose in our work. Working is not a product of the fall. Toil, hard labor is a product of the fall. It would be difficult for us to work. We should see work as a blessing, but also understand that God expects us to work. There were some in the Thessalonian church who had left their job perhaps because they thought that Jesus was coming back any day and they just didn't feel like they needed to work anymore. We've seen this in, throughout our history where people have predicted the, the, the end of the world and they have quit their jobs and sold everything. And so, so may, there were some there among the Thessalonians that, that thought Jesus was coming back any day and so they didn't need to work anymore. But there were others who didn't work because the only job they can get had to do with working with their hands. 
And, and in that culture, in Greek culture, working with your, your hands wasn't, was looked upon negatively. Whatever the reason for not working, what they were doing was living off of the community. And one commenter, commentator refers to them as loafers. Loafers. Paul tells these loafers to get a job and be dependent on no one. Why? Because that is what brotherly love looks like. These, these loafers were taking advantage of the genuine love of their brothers and sisters. They could work. They were just lazy and thought they could depend on the church to care for them. Paul says they need to take care of themselves. Just like we did when we were among you. You remember Paul and Silas worked on tents. They, they made tents when they were among the Thessalonians. For what reason? Because they did not want to be a burden to the community, to the saints there. They need to work so as to not be dependent on anyone. Is Paul here telling us that, that they need to be independent to live as though they don't need the body? No, no, no. That's, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul here is saying that if you can work and meet your needs, then work. And, and don't be afraid to work with your hands. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. But if there is a genuine need, if there is a genuine need, then you ought to depend on the body. You get it? That's, that's brotherly love, like in Acts 2. They shared all things in common. They were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to those who had need. That is how brotherly love works. We don't take advantage of each other because they are loving, because we assume that they will care for our needs, and so we stop working. No, if there is a genuine need, that's when the love comes in. But if you can work, work, and work with your hands. That is what, this is how brotherly love works, and that is what faithfulness looks like. These are the exhortations that, that Paul gives to the church at, Thessalonians, at Thessalonica in order to, to illustrate what brotherly love looks like. To, to walk and to live a life pleasing to God, to be a serious Christian and to, 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 to live a life pleasing to God, you need to pursue brotherly love and faithfulness. Christians who live lives marked with these things do not shame the name of Christ, but they bring fame to it. How will the world know we are Christ's disciples? By our love for one another. So brothers and sisters, let's pursue it.
more and more and more.